Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Well, um, I'm thrilled you're here. If uh, you, you've come as a guest, that's great. My name is Jerry. We're just thrilled that you have taken this time this Sunday to be here. Uh, I want to take a moment and uh, um, talk to our ladies. Ladies, if you find yourself 16 years of age and up this morning, I want to talk to you about December 7th from 10 a.m. to 12. We have what is known as our Propel Women Gathering Time, which is upstairs in our student center. Oh, sorry, it's the main floor. I've been corrected. My bad. So uh, uh, it's a space for women to support each other through whatever stage of life you're in, hence 16 and up. And uh, our hope is that you would feel supported in your struggles, uh, in your wins, but primarily in your spiritual walk with God. And if you are um, a spiritual wanderer and you're looking for a home church, we really want to encourage you to make it a priority to attend this time of connection um, and uh, learning as well as friend building. Uh, if you're new to Seoul, this is a great place to connect and meet with some new friends. And uh, at the welcome desk at the end of the gathering, my wife Sharon and a few others will be out there wanting just to connect with you. Uh, it helps us if you register. You can register online or just tell somebody that you're going to be there. Uh, uh, one of the, the ladies that are putting it together. And it's free, so you just have to show up. And uh, we really want to highlight that. We really want our women to connect here. And so, again, please mark your calendar for next Saturday at 10 o'clock. Today, as you heard already, is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, if, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because unless you've come out of a, a traditional church, a high church experience, um, well, many people are not familiar with what Advent is and what it's all about. It is the four weeks before Christmas. It is a time where we actually set aside to prepare our hearts and our minds for the second coming of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So now the word Advent actually is derived from the Latin term Adventus, meaning coming. So Advent is a time of anticipation. It's the, of the expectation of the birth of Christ. It's also anticipating Christ's second coming and soon return, which is mentioned throughout the scripture. The first mention of Advent, though, when we look at it historically, comes around 300 AD at the meeting of a church leaders. They call, it was called the, the Council of Sargos. Sargosa, sorry. Uh, and it gradually, Advent developed into a season that stretched across the month of December. And as early as the 4th and 5th centuries, Advent was a time of fasting and prayer for new Christians. Uh, and the purpose was to actually direct people's thoughts to this expected coming of Christ. But in modern times, many, many things have forgotten. The meaning has, was forgotten, and instead... Um, it was really just taken on, well, Advent is something that leads to Christmas. And uh, so what happens, with now we have this context of an Advent wreath as a reminder of this feast that is coming on December 25th. And we all like to feast, do we not? Now this Advent season, we'll be sharing a series of messages exploring the various themes representing the candles um, on the Advent wreath. Now, candles have been used in churches for centuries. The Advent wreath, though, is interesting because it's actually a recent tradition in church history. The first Advent wreath was invented by a German pastor way back in 1839, Johann Heinrich Wichlin. 
I hope you got that, 1808 to 1881. Uh, he was a pioneer in urban uh, mission work amongst the poor. And during Advent, the school that he worked at, the kids would always be asking him, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? Is it like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I think he, he, he uh, got a little bit frustrated. So what he did is he built a large wooden ring out of a cartwheel. And uh, he put 20 small red candles on it with four large white candles. And so the, uh, uh, the smaller red candles were lit every day, one at a time, and every Sunday the large white candles were lit, and that helped the kids in the mission eventually have their countdown to Christmas. Now that custom actually then began to uh, gain some traction amongst Protestant churches in G Germany, and as a tradition then, it began to spread, but the candles became a whole lot smaller because a cartwheel is too big, so they began to have only four candles or a fifth candle in the center as we see here today. The Roman Catholics saw what was going on and so they picked up on that tradition of the Advent wreath and they adopted it into their customs in 1920. By 1930, it now made its way over to North America. Now you heard earlier today the Advent calendar. The first Advent calendar was created in 1908 by another German guy named Gerhard Lang. The Germans love Christmas. I'm just throwing it out there. Right? So if you're German, you're a Christmas lover. And, and as a boy, interesting enough, his mom would sew 24 cookies into a lid of a box. I still can't, like, and this is my research, I still can't figure out what that would look like. But it, each day in December, he was able to unwrap a cookie and he ate that cookie. And that was uh, that tradition for him, his countdown to Christmas. That also inspired him to create a calendar entitled In the Land of the Christ Child. And so today we have our Advent calendars. It's a popular tool for many families to count down the days to Christmas. Our youngest two at home, uh, which are really over 21 and need to be on their own fairly soon, uh, have an Advent calendar. And according to my wife, I spoil my boys a little bit too much. So uh, we'll see if they've actually jumped into it today. I don't know. I didn't look. Back to the wreath. As you can see outside, there's these four candles. And uh, each week we'll be lighting a uh, candle. Uh, the, the center candle is called the Christ candle. That's going to be lit on our Christmas Eve gathering. Some will wait to actually Christmas Day, and then they'll light that candle as well. One pastor tells a story of eating dinner with his family during Advent, and he looks to his kids. He says, uh, what, can you tell me what the four candles represent? And the seven-year-old pipes up, and he goes, love, joy, peace, and, and, and of course the eager younger daughter pipes in and peace and quiet was the other ones that she added now i'll say this there's a variety of interpretations to the candles and what they mean but the most common scheme is that the first candle means hope the second candle means peace the third candle the pink one means joy and the fourth candle means love. And of course, the Christ candle in the center. Now, again, it's a fairly new tradition within church history. And these themes, though, of, of, of uh, hope and peace and joy and love, they stretch all the way back to the first Christmas and beyond. As a matter of fact, they're actually very deeply rooted into Scripture. And so it's very appropriate that we take the time this Advent season to reflect on these various themes in light of the scripture and of the Christmas story. So today we're going to look at how hope in Christ relates to Advent 
and Christmas and to our own lives today. So we're going off Matthew. We'll pick up Matthew again in the new year. But again, remember, Advent isn't about shopping. It isn't about stressing. It isn't about planning. It isn't about buying. It's about waiting. It's about hoping. It's about praying. And hoping is incredibly important, is it not? When you think about it. It's a theme that we cannot afford to easily forget. Scripture promises us hope. And yet sometimes hope seems like a million miles away. Our world is in desperate need of hope. Have you watched the news this morning? You know what? Many people actually today, they live without hope. Or they've actually gone so far as to give up hope. And maybe that's somebody here this morning. Even in the midst of what we call holiday cheer, hopelessness threatens there. It's, it's like after our Thanksgiving dinner, it's still there, right? In moments of quiet, hopelessness is there. Maybe we're lying in bed at night, and it's there. And there's those among us who struggle with depression or, or uh, who are grieving know this feeling very much intimately. And hopelessness is something that actually claws at the door of our minds. Advent is all about hope. We have a hope as believers, but hope isn't something that we can just simply manufacture. We can't just try to be more hopeful because hope doesn't come with the power of positive thinking. I need to throw that out there. Where then does it come from becomes the first question we ask. It comes from knowing and trusting God's promises. Promises like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Promises like, blessed are the poor. Promises like, Jesus is coming back. In Hebrews, the author writes uh, this of hope. He says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have a great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Hope comes from knowing and trusting God's promises. It's a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So during Advent, during this Christmas time, we wait for the fulfillment of God's promise that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is coming again. We hold on to God's promise that Jesus will come back, ushering a new heaven, a new earth, where there'll be no more tears or mourning or crying or pain. That Jesus Christ came at Christmas to bring us hope. 2,000 years ago, he came to bring us hope, and that's what we want to see throughout the scriptures today. What does it look like to hope in God's promises? As I worked on this life lesson, I was reminded of where I was exactly a year ago. A year ago, I was uh, daily going back and forth from work in the house to the hospice where my mom was a patient. I reminded that uh, in one room was a person dying. And with that individual was a family that was totally devoid of hope. As a matter of fact, when you walked into the area, there was all these different rooms, but into one area, it, it just seemed permeated by a sense of despair. To be frank, nobody wanted prayer. They didn't believe in that. But in the other room, my mom was there lying in her bed, dying. It's a hospice. We as a family gathered at her bedside. 
I have the poorest bedside manner as a pastor. I tease, I laugh, I joke. But there we were. You know, and, I, and in some respect, we're sad, but we were not without hope. My mom kept saying, and it's, 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 uh, it's not really a verse, but it's sort of a verse. It's what, probably one of the misquoted verses, but she said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And she kept saying that all the time. She had hope. And the difference between hopelessness and hope was literally the length of a hallway. And the difference between trusting in God's promises and having no God at all was very evident. In Luke chapter 1, we meet this guy by the name of Zechariah. He's a very faithful man. He has a wife named Elizabeth. She's a very faithful woman. They've served God their whole lives. They Yet, the Bible tells us they had no children. And they kept coming back to the temple. They kept coming back and worshiping, even though that their lives had been difficult. They persevered in serving God because they believed that God's promises were true. So they go to the temple, and one day in the temple, an angel shows up, and we read that Zacharias was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. He was a priest. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken. He was overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Why? Because in that time, the, the understanding is if you saw God, you were going to die. So Zechariah sees an angel, and he's shocked. He's shaken. He's literally freaked out. But you know, I, I, you have to think about it even for us when we come and gather on a Sunday. How often do we expect a messenger of God to show up? In all of our prayers, in all of our church going, in all of our lip service, do we actually think that God is going to show up? Is he there? Do we really believe that God is listening? But what happens when one of his angels actually shows one of his messengers the angel says don't be afraid Zechariah. god has heard your prayer god has heard your prayer do you hear that promise see obviously Zechariah, for all his faithfulness this is a priest guy he he's there all his faithfulness he struggled to believe that god heard him but god did why because God promises to hear our prayers. Let me say this to you this morning. God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. I think we get a kick out of, out of, out of staff when we grab these little notes on the crosses and we share them. You'll notice a, a trend shifting. Uh, we have Fasting Friday. We're actually trying to move to Tuesdays and we're asking people to send us your request on Tuesdays because Tuesday afternoon we gather as a staff and with our interns and we literally pray for you. So this Tuesday we had a few people picked up on that and they messaged us, their uh, private messaged us their requests and we prayed for you. We prayed for you. God has heard your prayer. Do you trust that promise? What's it that you're praying for, people? What are you asking God for today?
We're on the cusp of a new year, right? What is it that you're going to pray for? Are you praying for a child like Elizabeth? Are you praying for the end of suffering? Are you praying for a paycheck that stretches the mortgage and the groceries? Are you praying for just peace in your heart? Are you praying for peace in your mind? Are you praying for peace on earth? God has heard your prayer. For Zechariah, things were about to change because the angel continued, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. You're to name him John. You'll have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. So here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're actually given a new promise. And with it, with this new promise comes a new hope. And they're given a hope not just for themselves, but for an entire nation and later, actually the whole world. That there's going to be this child. His name will be John. He will bring joy. He'll bring gladness. This is the beginning of the New Testament's record of Jesus. So Zechariah and Elizabeth's son will be John the Baptist, the one who prepares the way for Jesus himself. Do you know God's promises for you? I think this is one of the most reason, uh, important reasons why we need to study the scriptures. Again, here's a shameless plug for life groups. Most life groups are winding now, now we're going into Christmas. But starting in the new year, we need to get into that. We need to study the scriptures together and not in isolation. We need to read it together. We need to memorize. We need to learn what they say so that we, as followers of Jesus, can begin to know God's promises to us. And we begin to find hope. I did, a, I did it just on Facebook. I didn't do it on Instagram. But I posted three, three uh, sections of verses. One for depression, one for anxiety, and one for uh, um, a peace of mind. Just scripture verses for people to understand that we're not alone. So do you know God's promises to you? It's said that often it's the darkness before the dawn. We've heard that cliche over and over again. And we look at this story. We see that Elizabeth was too old to bear a child. And yet... And yet, God answers her prayer. Zacharias believed that his family line would end because there were no children, and yet God gives him a son. Someone once said that when things get really terrible, painful, and awful, it's often because something amazing is getting ready to be born. And we see that in our world today, don't we? There are wars, there are rumor of wars, earthquakes, there's famines. Senseless killings, terrorism, neighbor turning against neighbor, violence, sickness, sadness, death, despair. And that's just CNN. Never mind financial ruin and marital strife. That's Fox. The fact of the matter is, when we look at our, our, our world people, what hopelessness is clawing at our doors? And yet God brings hope out of hopelessness. Jesus brings the good news that, that this is not all there is. There's more to it. There's a heavenly kingdom. There's a new way of living. There's a reign of peace and truth that, that starts in here, but it's also to come. And that God of the universe loves us so much that he will make things right. That's Jesus coming again. 
And so hope in Christ gets you through the waiting. It gets us through the waiting. Advent is all about waiting. This is what it's all about. It's a time where we remember the long period of waiting that first preceded that first coming of Jesus. It's also a time when we reflect on our own season of waiting. In other words, we're waiting for the second coming. We don't know when it is. If somebody tells you a date, they're wax. Stay far away from them. I came across some great stories I was going to share with you about people who were predicting. There's one in the Advent, uh, Advent, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, the one guy in history who kept, kept picking the dates, kept picking the dates, and you know, I don't know if you knew this, but it kept getting him wrong. Um, you know, we have this crazy tendency. Oh, we know when Jesus is coming. No, we don't. Nobody but the Father knows. We just wait. We wait patiently. And it's interesting when we take a look at this first period of waiting, it stretched all the way back to Genesis to Matthew. From Adam and Eve to Joseph and Mary, from the Garden of Eden to the manger of Bethlehem. I don't know if you're paying attention. Supposedly, the Pope in Rome actually gave a piece of the original manger back to Bethlehem. True, true story, the original manger. Go figure that, a piece of wood. I'm serious. CNN, check it out, man. It's the real manger. Just saying. Just throwing it out there. Pardon my sarcasm. And if you believe that, I have some land for sale. And a bridge. And I can make it all yours. Uh, but I take cash. Anyway, that was uh, off my script. I shouldn't have gone there. The first signal of hope during that long period of waiting came shortly after Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. Right? God told Adam, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you cannot eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, for if you eat it, you're surely going to die. Adam and Eve both disobeyed this command from God, bringing death not only upon themselves, but actually upon the entire human race to come. And when God appeared in the garden, pronouncing judgment on the serpent, the woman and the men, it all seemed bleak at that point in time. Except when you look at the judgment that God pronounces, tucked in there is a word of hope. There's a word of hope. God told the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So if you didn't know any of this, the serpent and his offspring represent Satan and all those who follow Satan's path. The woman and her offspring represent Eve and all those who love and follow God. And indeed, there has been this enmity or this hostility between Satan and those who follow God ever since the Garden of Eden. And yet, in this world of judgment, there's still a beacon of hope for the people of God. That's what he was saying way back there in Genesis, because even though the woman's offspring at first seems to represent the many descendants of Eve, verse 15 focuses on one specific individual descendant of Eve who will actually triumph over Satan and the evil that he has brought on mankind. Satan will strike his heel, but this special individual will crush Satan's head, bringing an end to Satan's rule of misery over humanity. This signals hope 
in the form of prophecies that continued throughout the Old Testament period. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and pronounced him, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. God goes on. He fulfills this promise by bringing the nation of Israel out of Abraham and through Uh, the nation of Israel, God continued to give promises about this special individual who would bring blessing to all the peoples on earth. And though the long years of waiting and the prophecies became more and more specific, focusing on the Messiah, that person who would come as prophet, priest, and king to rescue his people, people had hope. Around the year 700 BC, we come to the prophet Isaiah, who tells the king of Judah, he says, Look, at, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. This was the clearest prophecy yet that that promised offspring would come and deliver his people. There were still many centuries to come, many centuries of waiting. But these prophecies and others like them continue to give the people of Israel hope. These were long and difficult days for those people of Israel. And yet, their hope in this Messiah, this this Christ to come, it helped them through the waiting. There was an expectation. And then, of course, Jesus shows up on the scene. But the same is for us today. We go through periods of waiting in our lives, do we not? And we need hope to get us through the waiting. Because waiting is never easy. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And whatever you're waiting for or waiting on today is never easy. But I want you to know that there's hope in Jesus. Whether you're waiting on God's direction for a job offer or for an answer to prayer or maybe a response from somebody you love. Whatever you are waiting for today, there's hope in Jesus. And the candle of hope reminds us that hope in, of that hope in Jesus And that Jesus will get you through the waiting. What are you waiting for? Not only does hope in Jesus get you through the waiting. But our hope in Jesus helps us go the distance. An important part of the Christmas story has to do with the Magi. Who traveled to see Jesus sometime after he was born. You know to to correct some Christmas myth. You know they didn't show up at the birth of Jesus. It was time after. And again, these were pagan magicians or astrologers, whatever you want. They studied the stars. They interpreted dreams. And we find early instances of the Magi in the book of Exodus with Moses in Egypt. And then again in the book of Daniel. We're not told how many Magi actually visited Jesus. Some say 12, some say 3. We're not sure. We just know they were there. We read about the Magi in Matthew after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We have come to worship him. Now it's interesting because the Magi are important for a number of reasons. They were a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy which spoke about the nations and the kings coming to Zion to worship the Lord. They were fulfilling prophecy. Their coming to Jesus was a foreshadowing of the gospel going out to the Gentiles and the faraway nations. And the gifts they brought for Jesus were gifts that were fit for a king. Suitable for Jesus who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But what I want to focus on this morning is the distance that they came to see Jesus. Matthew tells us that they came from the east. It was most likely that they were Babylonian or Persian. 
Either way, they had to travel a great distance, perhaps as many as a thousand miles, some people speculate, over difficult, dangerous terrain in order to what? To find Jesus. And what prompts them to make this kind of journey? The answer, once again, comes back to hope. They asked Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We have come to worship him. Now, you might wonder how they would connect the star with the birth of the Messiah. Well, as Magi, they would have been very interested in stars. They would have been caught up with prophecies. And of course, they would have had access to the Old Testament scriptures because of the Jews who were exiled out of Israel centuries before. Perhaps they focused on one prophecy that was found in Numbers 27, which said a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. This prophecy connected a star with a scepter or a king of Israel. Maybe they were putting that together. But however, they knew the star signaled them that the Messiah was born. The Christ had been born. And it was this hope in Christ, in Jesus, that helped them go the distance to worship this newborn king in Israel. It's the hope in Jesus that helps you and I go the distance in life as well. We go through trials in life. We all face them. Well, our, our morning huddle today talks about we all have this limp. We live with a limp. That's where we are. And it's easy for us to get discouraged with our limps, is it not? That's when it's so important to remember that God is with us, that God helps us, that God has a purpose for you in your trials. And most important of all, that at some point in time, eternal glory awaits for us in heaven. Paul wrote, we don't lose heart for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So how did Paul keep going when the going got tough? Paul had hope for the future. Paul had hope for the, he had hope in Jesus. He had a connection, he had an encounter, a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And this hope in Jesus helps not him, but also us to go the distance. And I have to say this, that finally hope in Jesus, hope in Christ doesn't disappoint. Romans 5 says, hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. You know, the Christmas story is filled with shining examples of people who put their hope in Christ and weren't disappointed. Can you imagine? Of course, this is the twisting of my mind when I read the Christmas story. If the Magi went all that distance and Jesus wasn't there, <laughs> that would have been disappointing, I would think. But their hope wasn't disappointed. They searched, they searched, and they found. They found Jesus in Bethlehem, just as it was prophesied. There's so many other examples as well. There, there was that prophecy from Isaiah about a virgin who would give birth to a son. That prophecy was fulfilled with the Virgin Mary giving birth to Jesus that first Christmas Eve. We read in the Gospel of Matthew that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. God with us. What about Mary? She was told by the angel that she'd give birth to the Savior. Ladies, every pregnancy is a time of waiting, is it not? It's a time of expectation. It's a time of hope. And in this respect, with Mary, it was no different. 
We read in Luke chapter 2, Joseph went to Bethlehem to register Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger. By the way, piece of wood that's now back in Bethlehem. I just... Sometimes Christians are just dumb. Amen, right? Because there was no room for them in the inn. All of Mary's hopes for that baby. And then the baby was born and she held that newborn infant in her arms and wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger. Mary's hope in Jesus wasn't disappointed. There's Simeon, a man from Jerusalem who was waiting for the Messiah to come. I love this. Luke chapter 2, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is a God-filled guy. He was waiting for the uh, consolation. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, he would not die before he'd see the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus for, uh, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. So God tells Simeon that he's going to see the Messiah before he dies. At the very precise moment that Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus into the temple, the Spirit moves Simeon to go into the temple he puts his hope in Christ right there, and he's not disappointed. Now I can die in peace. Prophetess Anna. Again, Luke 2. She was very old, it says. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but she worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, in other words, Mary and Joseph, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Lost her husband when she was young. Lived many years as a widow. But she still had her hope in God. And her hope wasn't disappointed because she also saw Jesus in the temple. Also then remember that the Advent season is not just about those who waited for Christ's first coming. It's about those of us who wait for Jesus' second. When Jesus returns, he will banish all evil. He will make all things right. He'll restore the earth. We will see him face to face. Our hopes will be fulfilled. We read in Romans, we ourselves who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. When you put your hope in Jesus, it won't disappoint. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. If you put your trust in other things, other things will disappoint you. We talked about that last week. Whether you put your trust in people, you put your trust in possessions or in future plans that you've made, other things will disappoint you, but not Christ. Jesus will never disappoint us. Our hope in Jesus doesn't disappoint. 
And so the Christmas season is a wonderful season for many reasons. But one of the most important reasons is the hope that Jesus brings to a lost world. He's, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That means he came to save you and to save me. That Jesus was born into this world at Christmas so that he could grow to be a man, to die on the cross for your sins and mine. And if you're discouraged today, if you're tired of waiting, if you feel like giving up, if you face too many disappointments in life, then let me point you to Jesus and the hope that is found in him alone. Hope in Christ gets you through the waiting. Hope in Christ helps you go the distance. Hope in Christ doesn't disappoint. So put your hope in Jesus today and every day. Maybe you're here and you're going, I, I, I want your hope. I need your hope. I want to pray for you in a moment. Or if you want, you can take out your phone and you can text soul to the number that you see on the screen there. And if you have questions or if you need talk or if you, have, you need prayer, we're here for you. Joanne, our pastor of care, she's on the other end of that phone line. We're here for you. Maybe you came with somebody and you just want to fill out an info card, drop it at the welcome desk or throw it in the, the joy basket. We'll follow up with you. We want to help you with your walk and your journey. As a matter of fact, if, if you want to make a commitment, a fresh start with Jesus today, I have for you in my possession just a little book called The Essential Guide to My New Life with Jesus. And tied with it is also a little New Testament, just that I'll gladly put in your hands, that you could read, this would be for you, to grow, to develop in your relationship with Jesus. And I'd love to personally put it in your hand after this gathering. So if you would just do me the favor, if everybody just bow your heads. I want to be able to pray for those who just need a touch of God, who just need hope. And maybe you're discouraged. Maybe I said a few examples that were just sort of pricking your heart. And maybe today you need hope. Is that you today? First, let me ask. Maybe you need the hope of Christ. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life. Maybe you've never surrendered to him. If that's you today and you're going, Jerry... I need Jesus. I just need Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first thing would be, if that's you, just put up your hand. I want to know that I'm going to pray for you. And secondly, would you have the courage to meet me up here at the front at the end of the gathering? And I'd gladly give you these two books that I have. Is there anybody here? That's you this morning? Thank you. Anybody else? Now for the rest of you. Do you need hope? Do you need hope? Is it, is it you hate Christmas? You know what Christmas is coming, but you just need some hope. You need to get through. Maybe it's that job I talked about. Maybe it's that child that you want. Maybe it's the sickness, the suffering, whatever it is. Do you need some hope? Is that you this morning? Can I pray for you? Will you simply acknowledge and just put your hand up and say, Jerry, I just need to be prayed for. Yeah. There's hands going up all over. Anybody else? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, you can put them down. Yeah? Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that Jesus who died now lives again. 
And so living Lord, I ask that you would be born anew in our hearts today. I ask that you would let faith rise within us to banish our fears. God, maybe for those today who doubt, help them to believe all over again. I ask that you would give them hope. We acknowledge our pain. We acknowledge our brokenness, our wounds. We surrender to you today with them. So give us strength to live as you would want us to live. Lord of hope, we're rushing full steam now into the holidays. We look at our calendars. We wonder how we're going to get everything done in the time that's allotted before us, before the big day arrives. We begin to panic at the thought of projects that we need to finish, contacts that need to be made, preparations for festivities that have not yet begun. And the darkness of obsessive holiday planning overtakes us. And it may even cloud our minds and our spirits. But God, you are the God of time and light. And you bring hope to us, as you always have, through the voice of the great prophets. And now, through the voice of the one who is to come, Jesus Christ. Remind us again, slow down this season. That this season is truly about hope and peace and joy and love. Calm us down, slow us down. Help us remember that it's in loving relationship that you gave your son to us. It's in a loving relationship that your word is carried to the hearts of people. No tinsel, ribbons or tape or cards convey that eternal message. But you've given us the light to shine in our path and to cut through our darkness. Shine in the hearts of your people today. God, for those who have raised their hand the first time, touch those whom we know need your healing. Touch those who need some reconciliation. Touch those who need a comforting presence and love. Touch those who need encouragement and give strength to all who face difficult situations and let your compassionate light shine upon them. Guide them in their decisions. Guide them in their steps. And bring us into your presence, I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? Next week is a great week. Next week we have Pastor Sergei and his wife, Catherine Semenuk from Lutsk, Ukraine. Um, he'll be speaking on peace. Because if you don't know the political situation, Ukraine is a country at war with Russia. They have their own so-called Vietnam going on as we speak right now. So Sergei will be coming. He'll be speaking to us about peace. He's here with us uh, from the 4th and to the 9th. Bring a friend. Bring somebody. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended hands for the blessing. The ones receiving the blessing held the hands of the people next to him. <laughs> just kidding. Psych. No. It was, that was just for, you know, somebody who, you know, forget. The... <laughs> Once receiving the blessing, held their hands upwards. So, so sanctuary. As we go from here, I'd ask you to remember this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have not received the spirit of fear, but one of hope and confidence. So in whatever joys and challenges that this week holds, don't be discouraged. Don't be disheartened. Remember the glory awaits you as a child of God. Hold on to that truth. Live in that hope. And may the peace of God, the blessing of Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with you, in you, and among you. So now go as light bearers to a world in darkness, and go as hope carriers to a world in despair. Now go and live the church. And we'll see you next week.